We are in the book of Jonah. This is the third year that we've used, uh, gone through a minor prophet in the time leading up to the Christmas season as we recognize that all of the Old Testament is pointing forward to the Christ who was yet to come. Uh, And so as we, in this Advent season, look forward to uh, once again celebrating the coming of Jesus, uh, we go through a minor prophet again. And so we started last week, actually, in Jonah 1. Next, this week, we're in Jonah 2. Next week, Jonah 3. And the following week, Jonah 4. That's the plan. And so last week was the big chapter in Jonah. There were 17 verses. This week, there's only 10 verses. And it's probably... um, Chapters 2 and 4 often get ignored uh, when the story of Jonah is told. But an incredibly important chapter right here in in Jonah chapter 2. Now, recognizing um, that there were a lot of people that are regularly here that were gone last weekend already, and some are still gone this weekend, and then a number of family and guests and visitors that are here this weekend, I'm just going to do a quick review of Jonah chapter 1, because even though, even if you were here, it's good for us to hear again the context so we get into Jonah 2 in a good spot. But in Jonah chapter 1, three main points that we looked at last week, and a ton of application. It was just a rich chapter that that not only uh, told the story, the beginning of the story of Jonah really well, but also uh, could could have so many points of application in our own lives. So Jonah... uh, a man who existed and who really lived and who really went through the things that are told here in the book of Jonah in the 700s B.C. Not sure when this book was written or who wrote it even, um, but it was inspired by God and so is in the Holy Scriptures. And so we get to Jonah 1 and we learn, first of all, that there is an omnipresent God, a God who is present in all places, And he pursues Jonah with his word. But Jonah disobeys God's command to go to a great city. God had told Jonah, go to Nineveh, a place filled with evil people, an evil city. And God tells Jonah to go there. Jonah says, no. Points of application for us that came out of that were this. God desires to reach the nations. Do we? Secondly, we said, what is God calling me to? And am I being obedient? And to wrestle with that a little bit. And then we also looked at this question. Do I long to be in the presence of the Lord? Or am I running away from Him? And then we looked at the second point. The middle of the story in in Jonah chapter 1 said, The omnipresent God pursues Jonah and the sailors with a great storm. So Jonah runs away. It says two times in the first verse he's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. That doesn't work because God is present everywhere. So Jonah thinks he's running away by getting a ticket to one place called not Nineveh, right? And so he's going away, yet God doesn't go away. God pursues Jonah by hurling a great wind that causes a great storm. And not only is he pursuing Jonah, he's pursuing the pagan sailors that are on the ship with Jonah. So some application points from that were, well, you can't flee from God's presence. And also that our disobedience affects others. Right? We see how Jonah's disobedience brings about this life-threatening storm for these pagan sailors. Yet, we also recognized that God can use even our disobedience for His purposes. 
Because through that, these men get to hear of the God of the Bible and see his great power, and they vow to to make sacrifices to him, acknowledging him as the true God. Then finally, we got to verse 17, the last verse of chapter 1, and we saw the omnipresent God continuing to pursue Jonah with a great fish, because Jonah was thrown overboard, knowing that he was the one who had caused the storm. He asks them, he tells them, this is what you need to do. So they throw Jonah overboard, and as Jonah is sinking into the depths to his destruction, God, by his grace, pursues Jonah by sending a great fish to swallow Jonah up. Jonah would spend three days and three nights in the fish, and that's where we left off here when we get to chapter 2. So now we're going to hit today... Jonah chapter 2. And Jonah chapter 2 seems interesting because most of Jonah chapter 2 is just a prayer. It's just Jonah praying inside the belly of the fish. If you just had verses 2 through 9, if you cut off 1 and 10, you'd look at that. You'd assume that you're reading out of the Psalms, right? But here it is, Jonah sitting in the belly of a fish and praying. So we have in chapter 2. You're wondering, man, the scope in chapter 1 was so big. God is is going after the Ninevites, and he's sending Jonah to do it. And now here in chapter 2, the setting gets so much smaller. It's inside the belly of a fish, zooming in on this one man and his call out to God in the midst of his distress. It's interesting to see how this fits in. It almost feels like it doesn't fit. It's like, well, shouldn't this be somewhere else? Why, why in, a, in a book that's only 48 verses, is one whole chapter devoted to Jonah's prayer. We're going to look at that this morning. We see Jonah in chapter 1 being disobedient. In chapter 3, he's kind of externally obedient. And in chapter 4, we get to see his heart that seems to be pretty hard yet and not filled with much compassion. But here in the middle of it, we see a little glimmer of hope for Jonah. Jonah's praying finally in chapter 2. And so let's go ahead and take a look. Here's the big idea today. Give thanks to the God who pursues us with his grace even when we're definitely guilty and in a dark place. Right? We have in the bulletin uh, a sermon outline along with an application guide that we hope will be useful not only today but throughout the rest of the week, and it might even change your life. That's what God's Word does uh, when we hear it and obey it, uh, believe it. So go ahead and follow along there. If you're able to, would you stand? We'll read from Jonah chapter 2. Let's pray first. Heavenly Father, in your word, you tell us in Jonah chapter 2, and as Jonah prays to you, he's praying from a dark spot, very literally, but also recognizing the pit that he's gotten himself into. Trusting that there might be some people here even this morning who find themselves in a dark place. Maybe, maybe nearing the bottom of the pit or wondering if they might already be there. God, I pray that there would be encouragement through your word, through your Holy Spirit this morning for people that find themselves there. And as we look at this prayer, this psalm of thanksgiving from Jonah, I pray that you would cause our hearts to be thankful. And for hearts that are still hard in here today, hearts that have not been softened, hearts that have not been made new, 
through faith in Jesus, I pray that you would cause even that work to happen in this place this morning. I can't accomplish that, but you can. pray that you would. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read the Word of God from Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You can be seated. You'll notice in the bulletin there's just a, a couple of points today. We'll spend a lot of time on the tail end because I want to try and, at the end, figure out how we read Jonah 2, 2 in context of the whole book. Right? So we're going to do that towards the end. But right now, let's look at the first few verses. The first few verses, really verses 2 through 6a, are about Jonah's calling out to God in distress. Verse 1 is the introduction where it just says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Notice, if you look through the book of Jonah, Jonah hasn't prayed yet till he gets into the belly of the fish. Jonah chapter 1. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and share his message. Jonah doesn't say, hold on, God, let me pray about that first. He just says no. Right? When in verse 6 in chapter 1, the pagan sailors have been praying to their gods to rescue them, and that didn't work, they tell Jonah, why don't you pray to your God? We don't see Jonah praying in chapter 1, verse 6 yet. But now, after God has already rescued him to some degree, when he was sinking to the bottom of the sea, God sends this great fish, and from inside the great fish, finally, Jonah prays. Right? He's seen God's gracious work when he was about to hit rock bottom, and now Jonah starts to pray. So let's look at what he prays. And, and we're going to look at Jonah's prayer request, um, his request before God. And kind of like, it seems that um, this, this passage is set up, the beginning of it, and kind of like this, this structure, um, which was pretty common in Hebrew poetry kind of stuff, that's chiastic. So there's, there's part A here, and part A, it kind of repeated at the end, and then part B right here and here, and then part C in the middle, that kind of makes the main point. Okay? Uh, so we're going to look at it in that way. Verses 2 and 6 together, okay? So verse 2, here's what Jonah prays. He's calling out to God. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And then verse 6 says, at the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. 
forever. You get the, the picture. As Jonah's praying, he's using very figurative, descriptive language of, of this is probably literally what he was actually experiencing, but this is what he felt like. Like he was sinking down to the depths as he's sinking down in the sea, right? He's sinking down into the depths. Out of the belly of Sheol is where he cries out to God. At the roots of the mountains, down upon the land whose bars were closing in on me forever. He felt like he was about to die. And this is when he calls out to God. Out of my distress, he says, I called to you. But note what he says. And he answered me. He heard my voice. Jonah's got some hope. Because no matter how disobedient he's been, how on the way to destruction that he was, he calls out to God and he knows that God hears him and that God answers him. Application for us in that, very simple. You're feeling like you're sinking down further than maybe you felt like you've been in a long time. There's good news that when you call out to God in your distress, He is a God who hears. He's a God who answers. He hears us no matter how deep we've fallen. Good news. Verses 3 and 5 say, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Notice that he says, for you cast me into the deep. It was the pagan sailors who had cast him into the deep, really, but Jonah recognizes that this happens under God's sovereign hand, that he deserved it from God as his punishment. So he says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. Listen to this language. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows poured over me. Anybody ever been in this situation, even just in water, where you're feeling like you you don't know if you're going to take another breath again, right? Like the water is coming in, and maybe maybe you're not, because we live in Iowa, so we don't do water very much, right? Um, and, and you get in, even like a wave pool at a, like at, a, at an amusement park, that's scary, right? I mean, it just keeps coming. They just keep coming, and you kind of wonder if you're, if you're going to get up and get another breath. That seems to be the kind of picture that we're getting from Jonah. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then in verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were even wrapped about my head. You get this picture of him just kind of being tossed. He doesn't even know which way is up anymore. Right? That's what Jonah is experiencing. And he's saying, when I did that, you're hearing me, you're answering me. Again, application, encouragement for us is Maybe that's where you feel like you're at in your life right now. You're in this chaos of life where you're not even sure which way is up anymore. You're just getting tossed. It's like one wave knocks you over and you're just about to get up. And here comes another wave. You know what that feels like? And again, we have confidence that as we cry out in our distress, we have a God who hears and a God who answers. Verse 4, then, is kind of the one at the center of his request. Here's what it says in verse 4. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Remember, that's what he wanted. Remember that from chapter 1? Jonah was trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. Now he's got what he wanted. He thinks, but not really, because you can't get away from the presence of the Lord. God has sent the storm. God has sent the fish. Now Jonah is inside, in the belly of the fish, that God has sent to rescue him. I'm 
I'm driven away from your sight. But then he says in the rest of verse 4, Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. I don't know if you call this repentance, but he's kind of, it's, it's repentance-ish. Okay? Like, he, like he's kind of, he's like, he's not saying, sorry, I was disobedient. He's not saying I should have gone to Nineveh. He's just saying, I want to see your temple again. I'm, I'm done running away from you for now, God. I was driven away from your presence, but I want to see your holy temple again. I want to, I want to be in your presence again, God. He wants to go back. Maybe this is kind of repentance-ish. He talks about turning around, but he's got confidence, some sort of confidence that God is going to allow him. He says, yet I will look again upon your holy temple. Right? Application for us, if this is where you're at, maybe you feel like you've hit rock bottom. Maybe in many ways you're like, I know how I got myself here. Maybe it's just circumstances in life that have you there. And you're looking at your life, you're looking at your marriage, you're looking at your job, you're looking at stuff, you're like, I'm kind of in a pit of despair right now. So here you sit in the dark belly of a fish, crying out to God, wanting things to be different than they are, praying to Him because you're like Jonah. Like, (laughs) I don't have it all together, I know that for sure, but I have some hope that I'm going to see God, that I haven't gotten away from His presence. I'm going to see Him again. Jonah's got that kind of hope, at least. Do you? Aren't you thankful? Hey, listen, aren't you thankful that God's response to Jonah and God's response to us is not, you got yourself in this mess, you get yourself out. That's how we respond to other people sometimes, right? But thankfully, that's not how our God responds to us. He does not look at us and say, you got yourself in this mess, you get yourself out. Thankfully, God is not like that. Jonah got himself in this mess, and God's going to get him out. Right? That's what we see in verse 6. So let's go to the second point. Second point, the end of verse 6 says this. Jonah's describing his situation. Then he says, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Praise God. Verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah says, my life was in the pit. He was in a bad spot, drowning in the sea, going down to the depths of his own destruction by his own disobedience. Jonah was trying to get away from God, but God was still pursuing Jonah. And Jonah gives him credit for it. He says to God, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And then verse 8 is interesting. It's like in the middle of his prayer, he's kind of preaching. He says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He noticed that with the pagan sailors, right? They had been crying out to false gods to vain idols and it didn't work the storm kept coming because their their false gods weren't the ones that sent the storm it was the one true god who sent the storm and now jonah recognizing this says those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love this is this is good news i like verse eight jonah's starting to get it he's getting that you worship any other god Your hope of steadfast love? I don't know. 
you're putting your hope in anything other than the one true God, I don't know how it's going to go for you. You're forsaking your hope of steadfast love. And here Jonah is, guilty and disobedient, drowning in the sea, yet he has hope. Why does he have hope? Because he hasn't yet turned to another God. He might not like what the real God is up to, but he's not turned to another God yet. And so he reminds everybody else, those who turn to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah knows the only place that he's going to get steadfast love, ongoing covenant love, despite his own disobedience, is from the one true God, the God who made the land and the sea, he says in chapter 1, right? So verse 8 is good. Verse 9, it's all good. It's scripture, right? Um, Verse 9 says this, though. Jonah sounds an awful lot like the pagan sailors did in verse 16 of chapter 1. In verse 16 of chapter 1, it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So the pagan sailors do it first. And now in chapter 2, verse 9, Jonah says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah realizes that a sacrifice is needed. So he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring a sacrifice to you, God. Praise be to God, on this side of the cross and resurrection, we recognize our own sin and we don't have to bring before God another sacrifice. Right? Because Jesus was sacrificed once for all. Hebrews chapter 10 says it this way, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Jonah says, I know a sacrifice is needed. I'm going to make one. We say, listen, I know of my sin. I know a sacrifice is needed. And we can say, praise be to God, one has been made in Christ. He died on the cross for my sin. And then the comment that Jonah Jonah makes at the end of his prayer, he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah knew he didn't get himself out of that mess. Right? He was drowning in a sea caused by his own disobedience. Here he is drowning, waves hitting him, water's pouring over him. He feels like he's going to drown. Weeds getting wrapped around his head. Salvation belongs to the Lord, he prays. He didn't save himself. He knows it. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, what we have to look at in the, in the context of all of Jonah as I'm reading this, I'm singing, yes, Jonah, I wrote down in my, in my margin, I wrote, salvation belongs to the Lord, yes, so he can give it to whoever he wants, including people that you don't like, Jonah. I was mad at Jonah when I'm reading this. Because here Jonah is, he doesn't want God to save any, he wants God to save him, he doesn't seem to care a lot about a lot of other people. As long as God is, and so I'm just like, Jonah, yes, salvation belongs to the Lord. And so he can save whomever he wants. If he wants to save the evil Ninevites, he will save the evil Ninevites. Here, Jonah seems to be mostly thankful that God has saved him. At least he gets that, right? And he can't save himself. 
but God can save. And so he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. There's a lot of things in this last week that we were thankful for, right? Maybe you even sat with your family and you listed, here's all the things that I'm thankful for. That's a good thing to do. But did we even remember to just give God thanks that he would pursue guilty people like us with his grace? Where would we be had he not come to rescue us from the pit we were headed to? Right? We need to give God thanks almost more than anything else for the fact that he's a God who continues to to pursue even guilty, disobedient people like you and me. And then we get to verse 10. Jonah had been somewhat saved, I mean it seems, by being swallowed by the fish, but he's still in a fish. It's not where you want to live the rest of your life. And so, verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah's physical salvation that he trusted God for while he was in the fish is now completed because he's on the shore. Can you imagine what that felt like? I mean, just the whole process, being in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Imagine the smells. Imagine just the motion, right? I mean, just all of that, right? Imagine all of that. Do you think Jonah maybe smiled when he got out? I mean, just how incredible is my God? Salvation belongs to the Lord. I just got swallowed by a fish. I hung out in there for three days, three nights. I prayed. Three days, three nights later, I am spit out, out of the fish, on dry land. I, I'm, I would have smiled, I think. I would have smelled, and I would have smiled, right? Incredible. And so here Jonah is now on dry land, and we'll get to chapter 3 next week to see what comes next. God's going to give him a second chance. We need to pause there and say, we have been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. It feels like in many ways we're kind of still living in the dark fish's belly, right? That our salvation is not yet complete. One day we will be spit out onto the shores of heaven where we will experience joy eternally. Right now, it feels like sometimes we're still in. We know that God saved us. We're confident in what is to come. But we're calling out to Him from the dark belly of a fish. Just know that when we get out, we're going to smile. We're going to smile. It's in Christ that we have sure hope. In a moment, we're going to sing, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. So till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. That's our only hope. And I would love to end. I I told you I want to end this this sermon with putting chapter 2 in context of the whole book. Because one of my challenges to you this week was to sit down and read the whole book of Jonah. It's only 48 verses. And as you read the whole book, you get to the end and you can't help but be a little bit discouraged. So you're thinking, oh, I think Jonah's going to get it now. I mean, you read chapter 2, you're like, hoorah! I think he's going to get it. He gets his salvation belongs to the Lord and he's spit out on dry land. And you think, I think his heart has been changed. He's a new man now. And so in chapter 3, you might even think, oh, look at him. He took a step in the right direction. And then you read chapter 4. Like, ah, what just happened, Jonah? You remember everything you just prayed in chapter 2? 
Salvation belongs to the Lord. He rescued you from the pit. Jonah's a roller coaster ride. I mean, not even just when he was in the great fish, but, but just emotionally. It's a roller coaster ride when you go through Jonah. And here's what I want to end by encouraging us with Jonah was taking a step in the right direction, right? But there's a ton of work yet to do for God in Jonah's life. And it's frustrating when we see God's miraculous salvation in Jonah's life not have the kind of effect that we think it would have. And as I'm looking at this, I'm knowing that a lot of you have been praying for people in your family for a long time. You, you've watched them. And, and there's occasionally a time in which you're seeing some things that are really hopeful. Some chapter 2 kind of moments. Look at they're about to hit rock bottom, and, and they still know that God's there. They're crying out to God, and you're thankful for that, right? You're thankful that, that they're crying out to God at least still. You're wondering, maybe, maybe they're going to be okay after all, right? They're starting to talk about going to church again, just like Jonah was talking about going to the temple again. I think, I think, maybe, think maybe it's going to turn out all right. But then you find yourself getting discouraged when you see how little effect any of this seems to have on them. I get that. I'm wondering with Jonah as I read chapter 2, Jonah, how are you giving God all this lip service, but it doesn't seem like you really trust Him? You feel that with others. You see a glimmer of hope. Been longing to see a husband and a dad step up in the family and be a husband and a dad, and you see a little glimmer of hope. You've You've been longing for her to just say, yeah, I want to come back to church with you, Mom. You, you long for that to happen. Again, that hasn't happened yet. And maybe, 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 maybe she's starting to talk about it. You see a little glimmer of hope, right? He's not drinking as much as he used to, at least. There, there's a little glimmer of hope. But then your hopes get dashed sometimes, right? When we put our hope in, in the work that God is doing in other people, we see them take a step in the right direction, and then a little while later, it's like nothing ever happened. And that can be so discouraging. It can be so discouraging. It's discouraging when I read the book of Jonah. So what's the remedy? That's what I'm going to close. What's the remedy to that? To not ride this roller coaster of, ha, ha I think God's going to do something now. And we got hope right up about here, and then there's just a dip. It's like, didn't that even matter? Did you, did you forget about how God saved you? from that mess you got yourself in? I can read the whole book of Jonah and get discouraged by Jonah. I can look at other people's lives and get discouraged when I see them take one step forward and two steps back. I can look at myself and see how, oh, I thought I had that one figured out, and here I am falling right back again. Right? We know that. It can feel so hopeless when we try to put our hope in other people. That's why our hope has to be in Christ alone, right? We fix our eyes on Him. In Him, we have the hope of steadfast love. That's what He said in verse 9, or verse 8, somewhere. Yeah, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. You want the, the sure hope of steadfast love, of love that will not let you go even when you let go of it. When, when you're not hanging on anymore, love that's still hanging on to you. You want that kind of hope? 
that's found in Christ alone. The message of Jonah is filled with good news. The good news of Jonah is that God pursues guilty people. He pursues guilty people like Jonah. He pursues guilty people like your dad. He pursues guilty people like your son, like your daughter, like your brother, like your sister. He pursues guilty people like you, and he pursues guilty people like me. Your guilt does not disqualify you from receiving God's grace. Your guilt qualifies you for receiving God's grace. Right? You're guilty? Join the club. Join Jonah's club. You've taken one step forward and fallen two steps back. Join join Jonah's club and come before God, recognizing that salvation belongs to the Lord. In Him and in Him alone do we have the hope of steadfast love. You trust in Jesus. It's the only way I can offer you any hope in the situation that you're in. You're in a deep, dark pit. I don't know. I don't know how to get you out. I can't counsel you out of that. But I can tell you a whole lot about Jesus, and He can rescue you from the pit. If you want to know more about that, I'd love to talk to you more about who Jesus is, what He's done in order that you might be rescued. In Him, we have the hope of steadfast love. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You. I thank You that uh, You were at work in Jonah so that after you had rescued him by sending a great fish, that even in the midst of his guilt and his disobedience, you showed yourself to be a gracious God who pursues us even when we're trying to run away. That even when we are dead in our own guilt, that you can make us alive with Christ even when we're dead in our transgressions. You are a good and gracious, a mighty and powerful God. Thank you for that reminder. Thank you for sending your son. We could not save ourselves, but you sent your son so that all who trust in him would be saved. That we would one day stand on the shores of heaven giving you great thanks and praise for your rescuing work. Giving you praise because you alone are worthy of it. We long for that. We have a lot of hopes for other people in our lives. A lot of hopes for other people, but God, protect us from putting our hope in other people. Our hope is in you and in the work that you can accomplish, not only in their lives, but in ours as well. We know that that work comes because of who Christ is and what he has done. So thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.